If I've never met you before, my name's Pete. I'm part of the staff team here at KXC. And today we are kicking off a new teaching series called Truth and Life. What does the Bible have to do with life today? We're really excited about the series. We always say we're really excited about the series because we're always really excited about the series. Why would we preach a series if we weren't excited about it? That's a question you've got to ask. Um, but we really are about this one because we have an expectation, anticipation that God's going to do something really formative in our community, a community of people trying to follow Jesus in the heart of this city. This series, we hope, is going to be formative in shaping us for the next chapter of that journey. My job today really is just to give you some of the, um, to tee up the series, uh, give you a little bit of the why, why we're doing this, and a little bit of the what, what's it actually going to look like, so you can get a sense of the direction of travel over the next um, few weeks. Also believe that God, by Spirit, wants to do uh, a work of healing in us tonight and a stirring up of hunger amongst us for his word. So if you're up for that, we're going to get going. We up for it? We're up for it. Okay, good. This is us. This is you and I. Every single one of us right there, bang smack in the middle of a very strange drawing which represents culture. That's us right in the middle of this milieu of culture, of ideas and um, stories about what the good life is, about what is beautiful, what success is, what is just and what is not just. Uh, what we should do with our bodies, etc., etc., etc. There is a whole uh, array, a swirling set of narratives about how we should live our lives. That's us right in the middle of all of that. And we are trying to live our lives, going on the twists and turns of what life looks like on the process of every single day, making decisions about what our life takes, what form our life takes shape, right? So right in the middle of all of this, here we are in the middle of all of these swirling narratives, ideas, what about the good life is, uh, we are trying to live. And so right in the, underneath all of that, surely, deep down in every single one of us, consciously or otherwise, we are asking the question, how should I live? How should I live? How should I live in good times when things are going really well, when, when we have money and when we're going well at work or in the family or home or whatever it might be for you? Things are going really well. How should I live? How should I live when things aren't going well, when there's times of silence and times of confusion and times of absence, where, where we didn't get that thing we had hoped for or something went wrong in our life when we're in pain and we're hurting? How should we live then? What do we do with the person in our family or in this church or in our workplace that's really annoying us, that is in some way our enemy, has done something against us? What should we do with that? What, we've got a body. What should we do with our body? We've got desires. How should I live with my desires? How should I live amongst people who are experiencing homelessness? How should I live amongst the uh, refugee crisis? How, much should I, how should I live amongst this political climate right now? Surely, Deep down, somewhere, we are all asking the question, how should I live every single day? Um, and as Christians, there's another thing that's being thrown into the mix, and it's this thing, the Bible. So, like, we're all asking the question, how should I live? As Christians, we're asking something else too, right? Because there has been no Christian community uh, that has ever been taken seriously or been respected or had any kind of longevity that has rejected the, the Bible, the Scriptures, as having something to do with the answer to that question of how should I live. There has the, the, the followers of Jesus, the way, the early church, they didn't reject it. Jesus did not reject it, did not come to abolish it, to fulfill it. He didn't throw it out. No Christian community has done since. And so necessarily, as Christians, we're not just asking how should I live, but what on earth does the Bible have to do with how I live my life today? And with that, we arrive at the question of this series. 
right? Truth and life. What does the Bible have to do with life today, with how I live my life today? Um, and so that's a part of the why context of why it is that we're doing this series at all. And I want to throw another one into the mix in terms of particularly to this question here of what does the Bible have to do with how I live my life today? Here's the first thing I want to say. I've drawn a graph. Graphs are crude. They're completely really not very useful for this sort of thing. But I'm trying to use one to show us something, right? Um, and this is what I would like to say. It's that we are actually seriously interested in formation in change, in becoming. You might put all sorts of different language to that of like, of discipleship. It might be spiritual formation, whatever it might be within the church, but also it might be like becoming my best self, living my best life, progressing, developing, growing, whatever it might be. We as people, we in this city are deeply interested in our formation, in our becoming someone. Uh, and, uh, And that's both intentional the living your best life kind of stuff, but it's also unintentional. This keeps this fueled, which is, we've talked about this quite a lot at KXC, this the idea of unintentional spiritual formation, which is just that you are forming. Every single day, every day you wake up and live a life in this city, it doesn't have to be that anything dramatic happens, you change. You become more like someone or, or more like an idea around something every single day that you live your life in this city. And so it keeps formation, our spiritual formation, high on our radar. We're interested in formation. But what I want to put to you, and this is anecdotal, it's from my life, but it's also from, from pastoring people in this church. It's from speaking to my other mates who pastor churches in the city, but all the way around the UK. And, and, it's, speak, and it's reading theologians and social commentaries and all of that sort of stuff, that whilst there's this high interest in formation and a hunger for it, there is at the same time a a decreasing interest in the Bible being the primary formative source and guide of that spiritual formation, right? So we are still really interested in becoming and changing and growing and progressing, and yet at the same time there's a corresponding disinterest in the Bible, maybe even these, these three things, like an interest in it, maybe even trust in it as the guiding voice directing that spiritual formation. Also, a, a, a decreased sense of understanding of the Bible and a decreased practice of reading the Bible. And so, as we've got this high interest in formation, but this lowering and decreasing interest in the scriptures as the guiding force and voice behind that formation, a gap develops between the two. And what I want to say, does that make sense? Yeah, okay. What I want to say is that we fill this gap. We fill this gap with stuff. And to create suspense, we're going to hit pause there. So I just want to hold that in your mind. We fill this gap between our hunger to be formed and shaped, but a decreasing interest in the Bible guiding that formation. We fill this gap with other stuff. Here's what Eugene Peterson has to say. I want to pull the Christian scriptures back from the margins of the contemporary imagination, where they have been so rudely elbowed by their glamorous competitors, and reestablish them at the center, the scriptures at the center, as the text for living the Christian life deeply and well. I want to pull the scriptures back from that position on that graph where they've been so rudely elbowed by glamorous competitors and re-established them at the center as the text for living the Christian life deeply and well. 
it's our heart for this series. We want to close the gap. That's what we're going after as we go on this next six-week journey. We want to close the gap. We want to raise our hunger for God's word again. We want to raise our understanding of it. We want to raise our practice and our familiarity with the practice of reading the scriptures as the central guiding influence of our spiritual formation journey. That is what this series is all about. Are we up for that? Okay, cool. So that's the goal. That's what it is that we're hungering after. That's what we want to see happen. Uh, and so let me tell you a little bit what, what it's going to look like. The next five weeks are going to look like this. Next week is called the library. And it's basically looking at, the, at this book as a library of different texts over, over gathered together over thousands of years. Tyler Statton is coming over from New York. He's already visiting uh, over. We're not flown him over for the talk. I should just clarify that. Uh, uh, he's pastor Trinity Grace Church in Williamsburg in New York. Um, you may remember him. He was the guy that took the Nazarite vow, which is not cutting your hair for, I don't know, it was a year or something. The only human who gets better looking uh, as he takes less care of his appearance was this man. So look forward to that next week. But essentially, what is the Bible? Like, what is it and how do we get it? It's full of so many different literature types. You don't read Hello magazine in the same way you read uh, the dictionary or Wendell Berry's poetry or whatever it might be. You don't read them in the same way. And this is full of different literature types compiled over thousands of years in community. What is the Bible and how do we get it? So that's next week. And then the week after that, uh, we've got Anna Mason looking at the story. So if we've got this, this library of books of all sorts of different genres of literature pulled together over thousands of years, uh, and then is there any coherence to it at all? Is there anything that runs through it? And the spoiler is yes, uh, and his name is Jesus. Uh, and so Anna's going to be looking at the narrative that goes through the Bible it may look like creation, decreation, recreation. I don't know. It may, it may not. I don't know what she will do. I don't know what she will do. So the library, the story. Then we've got the word. John Carter's going to do this one. Looking at, if we've got this book of, um, this library of books, and there's a story about Jesus running all the way through it, then what does it mean to say it's the word of God? How is it in any way authoritative for our lives today? John's going to be unpacking that one before Pete Hughes gets up and looks at the lamp. We've heard, heard of that passage, one, Psalm 119, uh, as a lamp unto our feet. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. How does this ancient library of books that has a thread running through it about Jesus that's authoritative in some way for our life guide either the big ethical decisions or our small daily ones here and today in this city? Finally, we're going to look at how to read it. The bread. Pete Hughes again. He's going to be looking at basically how we've all hands up if you've struggled at any point in your life trying to follow Jesus to read the Bible. Can we just all look around? Because then we can just sack off all the guilt and all of the shame that we're all feeling and realize that we're part of good company. Pete has the bit between his teeth to get the to, for us to eat this book, right? That's what Eugene Peterson's book is called. Eat this book. We want to get it in us. And so Pete's going to help unpack how we can actually read this book and make it our daily bread, feeding us every single day with the words of God. So that's the next five weeks of this series. But there's more. You'll be glad to hear. Because next year, we've got a plan. Uh, which is that we're actually not just going to talk about reading the Bible and give us all the latest tips to all go off and struggle again on our own. Uh, we're going to actually read it together. And like, you may sink, your heart may sink, because uh, you remember January last year when you resolved to do it, and you didn't. Uh, that might be the case, but we're going to give it a shot as a community. This is the most communal book that's ever been written, so we're going to read it together, the, gospel, uh, the New Testament for uh, 2020. Is, everyone, is anyone excited about that? We're all excited. Okay, come on, wow. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Shame I had to ask. Uh, but anyway, so we've got five weeks coming up. The library, the story, the word, the lamp, the bread. Then we've got the plan. We're going to read it next year all together through 2020. Here's a heads up. This is not a series with the primary tone of apologetics. That is not what we're primarily going after, trying to give you an answer to every single ethical question that you've ever had about in life or every single, any question that you've had about the Bible. Uh, we, if, if that's your hope, that we're going to answer every single question that you've had about this or about the big ethical questions swirling around society and culture today, then I'm afraid you're going to be a little bit disappointed because our primary hope is not that. That is not the primary reason for doing this, though I do actually think some of that will be answered. Our, our, our primary thing is to get back into this thing that we think really helps us discover Jesus, become like Jesus, and learn to live like Jesus. That is what this is all about. So if that's your hope, that over the next five, six weeks and into next year, you discover more about Jesus, become more like him, and live like him, then I really hope you won't be disappointed. So that's what we're really going for. We're trying to close the gap. It's all about Jesus. Uh, so that's what we're going for over this series. But that's the next few weeks. What about tonight? We're going to look at the reader. You and I, for a moment. Now, we're all ready to interrogate the Bible, to ask questions of it, to try and understand it, to, to grapple with it. But before that, we don't want to forget that there's another side to the coin, and that's you and I. And that dynamic of picking up the Scriptures and reading them, there are the Scriptures, and there's you and I, sitting there, reading them, bringing whatever we bring to the table as we do that. And so tonight, before we get into the Scriptures, we're going to look at ourselves uh, and ask the question as the reader, what do you want most? What do you want most in life, I suppose, is actually partly what I'm going to be asking. Let me put it like this. I was a few months ago. Uh, my son, my oldest son, sat down at our kitchen table, wooden table. Uh, he gets a, a plain A4 piece of white paper, puts it down on the table, gets his favorite red crayon, pulls it out, goes to draw a dinosaur. He's four years old. Just, just uh, He goes to draw a dinosaur. He takes the red crayon, and he rubs it across the white piece of paper. And as I see him do that the grain of the table starts to come through the thing that he's drawing. So there he is. He's a blank piece of paper, a clean crayon. He's trying to draw a fresh picture. And yet as he does it, the grain of the table, the knots, the twists, the turns, the grain shows through that blank piece of paper. I want you to hold on to that image because I think it's a helpful image for whenever we pick up the scriptures. We go there, blank piece of paper, red crayon, we're ready to go. But when we read it, some grain starts to show through, an imprint starts to show through. And I want to put it to you that an imprint, this grain, as we the reader approach the scriptures, is either one of two things. An experience, a past experience, or a desire that we have in that moment. So we sit down with the Bible, blank piece of paper with words on it, but we'll look over that. Uh, and, and you sit down, something is showing through from you, from your past experiences of reading the Bible or being taught the Bible or being told about the Bible or a desire you have for what should happen in that moment. Uh, and so I just want to um, look at these experiences first, right? We, we, we can have really good ones. And we can, let's be honest, have some really bad ones. We could have been previously just really confused by the scriptures, and that starts to show through. We might have been overwhelmed. They're so huge. Like, I can't, don't think I'll ever be able to finish, so what's the point of even starting this thing? You might have been just truly bored, either in, in church or like now, or um, in, in, in any other environment. You might have been just truly bored by them. You might have felt guilty by something that you read in them, and it's made you feel guilty. It might be that you're just frustrated because you don't really understand it. You might even have felt excluded because you read something 
or someone taught you something probably pretty badly that made you as a person feel excluded from the purposes of God. That might be the grain that shows through when you pick up the Bible. You tried it so many times, it's not worked. Now you've got muscle memory. And this time when you pick it up, you think it's not going to work. It's not going to be relevant. You're going to feel excluded, et cetera, et cetera, again. Do you see how it starts to show through the paper, our experiences? But you might have had amazing experiences too. Going through a difficult time in your life, you might have read it and brought you comfort. You might have been going through a confusing time in your life and you just open it up and there's a moment of great clarity like Brian Heasley talked about a few weeks back when he came out of prison and opened up the Bible and God just spoke to him directly. It might be that you felt deep excitement and hope about life. All of these things, I hope also you have felt included because this text is the most inclusive as a grand narrative, the most inclusive thing you'll ever read. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is that we are not neutral when we come to pick up the scriptures. We've got grain knots, twists and turns in our story that are showing through the paper. We've got experiences, positive and negative. And so that's something that shows through when you pick up the Bible as the reader of it. And I really hope, and I, and I, and I actually believe this, that where there have been ne- negative experiences, from, from the, you know, I felt really guilty and even maybe controlled by this thing or by someone teaching it to me, through to, I just don't really understand it very much and it never really works when I do read it. I really believe that where that muscle memory is developed so strongly, I really believe that God wants to bring healing to us and emotional healing from all of the experiences that we've been on. Reset our expectations. I really believe there's a brighter road ahead for all of us with the scriptures and I hope it begins tonight as we pray for one another. So I hope there's going to be healing for those of you and it will be many of us who've got a negative experience of the scriptures. So an imprint, the grain coming through the paper when you read the scriptures is either an experience or it could be a desire. A desire, something you want when you pick up that Bible. And actually, we had a hub uh, a few mu- about a year and a half ago where it asked, I just asked the question to the room, how do you feel when you pick up the Bible? How do you feel when you pick up the Bible? And, uh, and, um, or how do you feel when you walk past it on your bedside table? Or all these sort of things. And the, the, um, the, the answers were just so raw and honest and almost moved you to tears because we all have so many experiences that we're bringing to the table and we all have so many hopes when you pick it up. And so I want to speak about desire tonight too. And let's go back to the suspend, the cliffhanger that I left you on earlier. Very excited about that graph, uh, which was we've got this hunger for formation. We've got a desire to change and progress in some way in this world as a person. And yet the Bible is decreasingly uh, read and understood and trusted. And there's a layer of interest in it as the primary voice guiding that formation. There's a gap. We fill this gap. And what I want to put it tonight is we fill this gap driven by desires. We filter what fills that gap in this way. By our wants, by our needs, and by our feelings. By our wants, our needs, and our feelings. In other words, uh, that we, we, we allow things that are in line with our, what we want, what we need, and what we like to drive our spiritual formation. That's the stuff we let through the filter. And I want to put it to you that that I think at times we have certified our wants. In other words, you know, like a certification on a product, it's like this is verified, this is good, this is trustworthy, Um, you can eat it, you know, type thing. Like you look for the stamp of approval on it, almost we've done that to our own wants, that the things that we want, yeah, they're the right things, they're the valid things, and so we follow them. They follow them and we filter the stuff that we're consuming according to whether or not it's in line with what we want. We've deified our needs. In other words, we've made them gods. 
that we have to serve and we have to worship, that our needs are the most important things to be met. And so if we read something that doesn't really fit in line with that, then we throw it out. Or finally, we weaponize our emotions. This is Michael Ramsden's language. We weaponize our feelings. In other words, it feels like sometimes the worst thing we can possibly do in society today is offend someone. Offend someone. I am terrified of offending people whenever I get up here to preach. That I'm a nightmare in my house the night before. I, I preached about 18 months ago at a church weekend away, not this one. Um, and I preached about the parable of the rich fool. And on the end of it, someone gave a 10,000 pounds to that church. Now, firstly, I'm in the wrong career. And I should get into fundraising. Secondly, like, it didn't phase me for a second. That I preached the way of Jesus. And someone then went and lived the way of Jesus and gave their money in that way. It wouldn't praise me tonight preaching about the spirit of adoption, how we've all been adopted into the family, and, and some of you decide, actually, that's what we're going to do. We're going to adopt people with our life. We're going to, we're going to spend our lives adopting children. I wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't fear me if you started to fast after a talk on fasting or any of these other things. It doesn't put fear into me that you, after preaching the way of Jesus, you would live the way of Jesus. What, what I'm fearful of is offending Almost that it's the worst thing we could possibly do. And don't you feel that yourself? If like someone says something that offends you, it's almost like there's this like weaponized reaction within each of us. And this is the thing, is, is that I don't actually know any way of becoming more like Jesus or living like Jesus that doesn't offend me. I really don't know how to do it. Like, it, it, even the idea of grace itself, it's called um, the offensiveness of grace because we're given something we don't deserve. It's offensive. Mercy, we're not given stuff we do deserve. It's offensive by its very nature. That alone, when we're asked to be gracious towards others, to give them things that they really don't deserve and you know they don't deserve it, or to be merciful on people that you know did deserve something but you're not going to do it, or, or, or you forgive someone. I want my wife and my kids and my friends around me to serve my needs, and yet Jesus tells me to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. That's offensive, deeply offensive. I want to hold on to my money and get things that I want, need, and like. And then Jesus says to give it away. That's massively offensive to me. I don't think there is any way to become more like Jesus and live like Jesus, to go on the pilgrimage that we are on without being offended without having our wants, needs, and likes thrown out of the window for a moment to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. I don't know a way. And, uh, and, and, but the, th the thing is, is if we do submit to those things and we do live a life driven by wants and needs and feelings, then we just end up with a self-selecting spirituality. We basically just surround ourselves with people we like, saying things we like, that meet our needs, keep us happy, and keep us on the trajectory that we really want to be on. And so our, our, our formation uh, gets smaller and smaller. We live in echo chambers, and, uh, and, and we have a self-selecting spirituality. Eugene Peterson calls this stealing our formation out of the hands of God for ourselves. This is the thing. This is the critical thing about this. The Holy Bible, if all of that is true, the Holy Bible has been replaced as the authoritative text guiding our formation by the Holy Self. We are now the guides. We decide what our formation looks like and the journey we're going to go on. And we filter it according to things we want, things we need in our life, and the things that we like. The Holy Bible is replaced as the authoritative text by the Holy Self. Put it like this. C.S. Lewis put it like this. 
We love CSS. Uh, he put it like this. He talks about these two bikes. And I tried to draw them. It didn't go well. So I just decided it would be a distraction. So I took them away. Uh, but he's basically talking about this whole idea, this question that we're asking, how do I live? What does the Bible have to do with how I live my life today? He talks about two different bikes that you can ride. The first is the bike where you're in charge. You're riding it. You're steering it. You're deciding the direction. It's just you. You're pedaling, steering. You know where you're going. Uh, and we then co-opt the scriptures almost as some sort of like inspirational text. And he puts it like almost like an engine on the back of our pedal bike just to help us get in the direction that we are steering and want to go anyway. Uh, and, and so we, we find the bits that inspire us when we need inspiring. Or we find the little bits that need com- to comfort us when we need comfort. Uh, and, and it helps us get along in the way that we want to go. We're in charge. We're in control. We're steering. The Bible is helping us get there. The word of God. God is essentially serving us to get where we want to get to. That's the first bike that we can ride through life. And in that scenario, essentially you've become a tour guide in a town you don't really know very well. We're just steering our way probably around quite familiar streets, notion of, of where we think we'll be free, where we think our wants and needs and our feelings will be most met. And we're asking the word of God to assist us together. That's the first bike. The second bike, you might have guessed it, is that the word of God is steering. Is there's a guide on the bike, and we are uh, having a backy, so to speak. We're we're riding, we're sitting on the back, um, and 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 we're not in charge, and we've had to relinquish control. And, and we and the word of God starts to steer us around. And in that scenario, we're not the tour guide in a town we don't know very well. He is the guide in a city that is far bigger than we could ever have known, with streets more beautiful than we could ever have known, with vistas and views and mountaintops or whatever that we could never have discovered. We live far more free, but we're out of control because we're surrendered and following. We're being led not being a guide. We have always said here, we do not have a map, we have a guide. We've always wanted to follow the word of God over and above our human ideas of the best streets to travel on and the best ways to go and the best ways to get from A to B, right? That's the second bike where he, where the word of God is the guide in our life. And it leads us, he leads us into freedom, into streets we didn't even know existed. To illustrate this, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read from the Psalms. And what I want to ask you is, can you hear the hunger? Can you hear the hunger? Psalm 119. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 27, teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warmed. In keeping them there is great reward. And finally, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. You can open your eyes. Can you hear the hunger in the psalmist's voice? This hunger to be led into life, into fruitfulness, into freedom by a guide. This is the last one. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Can you hear the hunger to be led into freedom by the word of God? Can you hear it in there? And I just want to put it to you that that kind of attitude toward the scriptures that the psalmist has there, it starts in humility. It starts with humility of saying, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm not the best person to guide the way. Maybe I don't know all the answers. Maybe your ways are higher than my ways. Maybe I haven't known all of the truth. Maybe the things that offend me shouldn't offend me. That starts with humility and openness to the word of God. And then it's outworked in surrender, right? You have to be on a bike that you don't control, that you don't get to dictate what is just or generous or true. You have to follow him. It's outworked through surrender, a posture of surrender to the word of God, and it's fueled by hunger. I said that the, the question for this tonight, the reader, is what do you want most? So as we sit on the edge of this series of all that's to come, as we start to open the scriptures to try and understand what they are and, and look at them and their relevance to our life today, I just want to ask you again tonight as the reader, as the person we're speaking to, what do you want most? Do you want your wants and needs and feelings to be preserved? Or do you want, like the psalmist, to sit on a bike led by God that leads you into beautiful freedom, into the wide open space? That, do you hunger after holiness over and above your own satisfaction? Do you hunger to become like Jesus and live like Jesus in this world? If so, then I hope the grain of that hunger starts to show through over this series and then over next year as we start to read the scriptures. Actually, Lord, I don't understand all of this. Some of it's pretty controversial. Some of it's pretty confusing. But Lord, with the grain I want to show through is hunger. Hunger to become like you. Hunger to be holy. Hunger to live a life that's worthy of your name in this city. I think for a lot of us, we've got to wave that flag that we've been riding the other bike. Right? That we've been riding the bike I feel quite passionate about this because in preparing this, I realized I'm trying to ride the other bike with my life. Terrifying. I'm like, it's my job to be a vicar. There's when I preach the word. It's terrifying how easily we can be steering and making God convenient to fit in with us. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want most. What I want most is to hear the word of God clearly in my life and to follow it. Become like Jesus and live like Jesus in the city.